Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, our special guest is Mark Johnson, Stein Corn Technical Agronomist. Welcome, Mark. Hey, how we doing, David? Born and raised on a family farm in West Tennessee, Mark understands the intricacies of row crop production. As a corn technical agronomist, Mark leverages his strong agronomic background and skill set to evaluate products that come out of Stein's breeding and research program before they make it to market. His knowledge and expertise ensure that he's equipped to provide agronomic support to our sales team in the South Central United States. Today, we're going to learn more about Mark's background in ag, his takeaways from the 2023 season, and his advice for growers heading into 2024. So let's get started. Well, so Mark, since you're new here to the Seedcast, I wondered if you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of what led you to Stein. Thanks, David. Thank you for uh, you know having me here today and, and giving me a little bit of time to talk about myself, my roles, uh, the things that I do here for Stein, and trying to help grow the business and to uh, to help our customers and our sales team be more informed of what we're doing now in the future, and and what's led to these these things. So. A little bit about myself. So, as you mentioned before, I hail from Tennessee, from West Tennessee. Come from a, uh, a diverse farming operation there. We had row cropped cattle, hogs, you name it, we, we was doing it. But more for the uh, corn and soybeans is my background. Went to the University of Tennessee and I graduated there with a degree in production and management. Went back home and, and farmed for a while and uh, ventured doing, doing things like that and just you know, trying to, to broaden my experiences there. As fate has it, I ended up in Iowa. I met my wife and moved up here and started my career, you know, in, in the agriculture scene. It was a good move as far as what my career, you know, path has taken. Good. You know, so today I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the season that was, right? So with 2023 kind of in the rearview mirror, I, I wanted to talk to you about what did we learn or maybe more importantly, what should we have learned from the growing season? You know, what are things that went right? What are things that maybe we could have done better overall? So, you know, this growing season, every year is a new year. And, and as things change and as weather patterns change, we have to evolve. And this year was no different. You know, as as the the drought that uh, persisted to, to fall upon us and learning, you know, how, how certain practices uh, how our hybrids, how our, our soybean varieties work and, and worked with it and, and adapted to overcome some of those things. Uh, you know, across across the Corn Belt, you know, we, we saw places where the drought really did affect and, and, it, and to the south even more. But, you know, we learned a lot of things about our, our hybrids, you know, on the corn side, how they can persist and really, say, thrive. But they're able to, to pull through some of these drought-stricken things. You know, there was there's places where the yields were really good. And talking to people outside my area that I cover, there was concerns. You know, even from my past jobs that I've had, I'm still in contact. I get phone calls and, and they ask me some of my opinions about, you know, what may be or what might not be happening. 
and then you know, follow up calls through harvest, the yields are still there. And uh, you know, I think it goes back to to breeding, to to what we're doing with our with our corn genetics, and how we've progressed over the years. There are certain genetic breeding that they target drought resistant. Uh, they're saying you know, there's different companies have different things, but I think in general. I think the genetics have improved, you know, not necessarily having the, the drought resistant or drought genes to help combat that. I think just that in general, the genetics have, have improved where, where we can get past some of that. And when we look at that, when we look at soybeans too, I think some of the same way, soybeans can adapt to, to them situations too in a, in a lot better way than what corn can. But we still need it. We still need rain. We still need moisture <laughs> to make all this happen. Yeah, and, and I think what you said is true. I I remember talking to a farmer this fall and, and talking about, they said, hey, you know, I, I want you guys to know that we appreciate the genetics that are being put out by the seed companies because, you know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I might not have had a crop, but, uh, you know, maybe it's not a bin buster because of extreme drought, but at least we're able to put in a crop and be able to take a crop off of there because of the advances made in seed genetics. So I think farmers even recognize that as well, that, that genetics are doing their job and, and paired with the cultural practices, right, that they're doing. So correct, David. I think that's a big thing. Is as we advance, we go forward. We're seeing you know different trends of how what we can do to combat you know uh, genetics too. But we can utilize no-till. We can utilize uh, strip tilling. We can do things that that we're not not letting some of the moisture escape more readily. You know, whenever the drought really sets in. You know, when I look about cross, you know, what happened cross here in the Corn Belt, but whenever I go farther south and look at things that happened in my area, there was other things that come into play, let alone uh, just drought. There's places where the, you know, in my far south area down in Louisiana, you know, southern Arkansas, the weather warmed up so rapidly in the, the late winter. You know, there's there's places um, down in Louisiana that was in mid-February, they was hitting, bumping, you know, upper 70s. And uh, mm-hmm. some people pulled the, the trigger a little quick and, mm-hmm. and planted some acres in the, you know, the third week of February. Only to see the cold snap really come back. The winter, winter came back and, and, and come back in vengeance on some of that. And we're not talking, you know, a few fields. We're talking thousands of acres that was yeah. planted. So, you know, replanting did did come into play. And uh, you know, with some of our policies working with us, and, and I can't speak for other companies, but uh, there's ways to help, you know, to help work through that too. But you know, some of the things that you can tell them is some of the things that I've heard from some of them guys is no matter what the weather may be, how great it feels. I am going to wait. I am not going to jump out. As one producer talked to me about it, he did say, he said, I called and talked to every older farmer that I could think of. Hmm. And they said they've never seen that happen before like that. So it's all, you always learn something new. You see something new in, in the world of agriculture and, and, and things that happen. Now, what you talked about there, Mark, was, you know, kind of specific instance of, you know, the weather being surprisingly warm during that time of year. That, I guess, spurs a question in my mind because I know up here, I'm more familiar with kind of the upper part of the Corn Belt. And I know one of the things that's becoming a broader question is not just early planting. I mean, the trend is toward planting a little earlier, a little earlier. And then now the thing is planting soybeans earlier and earlier. Is that trend also taking place in the kind of the southern part of the United States? Yes. So, yeah, that's a simple one there, too. They it used to be where, you know, it was plant corn, wait two or three couple of weeks if you got your corn in early and then plant soybeans. But that seems to be, they're, they're following the same pathways where farmers now may have a corn planter, may have a bean planter. And if they have the manpower, they're pulling them both at the same time. And and as we're seeing that the, the yield potential is, is increasingly, if you can get them in the ground in good growing conditions, 
it's not a bad bad thing to do. But I will say, you know, planting soybeans earlier versus corn, there's other obstacles that you have to plan for. And that goes back to some things later that we'll talk about that what do we do to combat, you know, uh, cold soils or, or damper soils that, that may play into effect with soybean planting, some of the, the risks that may come with that and building a program around that. Well, so the new year is, uh, I guess, a time for looking ahead. So agronomically speaking, Mark, what sort of New Year's resolutions should corn growers be looking to make as they prepare for the 2024 growing season? There's things that you can do, you know, as a producer to going into your new year to the the new growing year. Every year is different, and and we've seen that. There's been trends. I I think right now we are in in a drier, maybe a little bit warmer trend that we've been uh, been seeing over the last few years you know it, it comes in waves that trend may may run another year or two then we may fall into a more of a damper or a cooler one as weather patterns change everything kind of uh, it, it, we just kind of roll with with the punches and you know w- with that being said you have to do the same thing on your farm on your own acres so you know my recommendations you know for people that's trying to figure this out is is know your fields i can't stress that enough is is you know when you're putting a game plan together Corn hybrids, where do they work? Where do they not work? You need to be familiar with the, with the hybrids and, you know, in coming from our side of it, you know, as, as the, the regional sales agronomists can help you there and, and the ISRs can help you out there too. But as, as the agronomy bunch, you know, we could, we're always there available to, to work, you know, if you have specific questions. Hybrid placement, I cannot stress it enough, you know, make sure you're putting the right hybrid on the right piece of ground. In the same way with, with soybeans on the varieties is knowing, knowing your soils, knowing your farm, Soil testing, diseases, what was there, you know, if you're in a crop rotation, what was working, what didn't work, you know, what, what diseases may have been present. Last year, every year is different. And the things I talked about a few minutes ago, you know, disease pressure was not a big thing this year. It, it was not as, as hard by no means as we've seen in the past. And, and I contributed to the drier patterns that we're having, especially foliar diseases, sure. especially in corn. Uh, I mean, you, you have your, your one-offs. But uh, in, in general, the corn disease pressure, foliar pressure especially, it was not there. And that tends, you know, that goes right into this, you know, some of the stalk issues were just not present because of lack of moisture uh, of growing conditions for, for the fungi or whatever the bacteria may be present. So that's a good thing. But like I say, every new year is something different. So it, we may run right back into the same thing this year, it, the way, you know, the winter's trending. But on, on the other side, you know, the winter that we're supposed to have and, you know, here it is Christmas and you can, before today, <laughs> when you walked in, you could wear a short sleeve shirt. Uh, that's not normal for the uh, the Iowa area. Yeah. But it's also, you, you need them temperatures to drop down there to help work against some of these soil-borne problems that may be there to help kill them out too and, and insects too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So as we head to 2024, how do you advise growers who may be trying to figure out what they're going to do for a cropping plan. How do they go about making a crop plan for the 2024 season? You know, I, I think a good thing for a producer to do is to sit down. And back when I was farming, I tried to sit down and I would look at every field and, and I would know what worked, what didn't work, you know, in the past, what practices am I using, you know, to make that work. But talk with your with your seed advisor, with your, your, your salesperson. And and as I just stated before, with the with the corn hybrids, Picking the right hybrid on that field, what works as far as, you know, do you have water top soils? Do you have dry soils? Are you putting it on rolling hills? Are you putting it on bottoms, bottom ground? So there's a lot of things that play into effect. Instead of just grabbing, I, I know it's very easy 
for the farmer to be sitting in a tractor and get a hold one of the guys that works for him said, hey, I need 20 more bags of corn. I need another box of corn. Go grab one. Which one? And he just goes grab one. To be one in the front of the shed. The, the one that's in front. <laughs> right. the, the easiest one to get to. <laughs> right, right. And I advise, I'm a bad uh, proponent, do not do that. Uh, have a game plan, sit down, go through, look at your fertilizer needs, look at things, your pH, look at all these these variables that play in, in, in your soil to to give you the best the best chance to maximize your yield on these acres and what you're putting into it. As crop inputs keep inching up more and more, it's it's the little things that you do in the winter months to prepare you for the spring and summer and the growing season and which will end up yielding, you know, plays into effect for yielding in harvest, you know, at harvest time to to maximize that. All you can do, you can you can just control the things that are in front of you. And you try not to worry about the other things that you cannot control. So putting a game plan together in the fall, late fall, winter time is uh, taking that first step. So have a plan, but know that adjustments to the plan may be needed. You, you <laughs> always got to be got to be flexible, <laughs> but have a have a base plan laid down to follow. So you know, obviously in our business, we're focused on the corn and soybean acre in a lot of the area that you serve. There are a lot of other crops, but as it relates to corn and soybeans, we saw corn win some acres last year. What are you seeing or hearing from, you know, the growers that you talk to uh, as far as a corn and soybean mix across the U.S.? So, you know, corn acres were up a little bit last year, and, and that was kind of expected a little bit. From, but from what I've talked to and, and what I've heard and some of the things that I've read, the I think we're going to swap back around a little bit. I think some of the corn acres are, are going to drop down, and I think a few more uh, acres will be turned back to soybeans. With the input cost of corn coming into a play, uh, I see where where the corn acres will probably, from what I understand, probably may drop somewhere you know three and a half percent down to four, and soybeans would would reflect and, and take some of them back yeah. you know back up around three and a half percent more mm. on acres across you know with with the soil, with the corn prices you know where they're at and and don't see to rise in the future and as much as they'd like to see. And, and like I say, the inputs just start inching up even more and more. Soybeans may be a, a better option as far as, you know, the ROI and, and, and the cost of, of doing everything. Yeah, yeah. So it, it could play out that way. You know, even down in parts of, uh, of Arkansas where they do have rice that's that's grown, and that is the, uh, you know, the, one of the primary things in, in that, that area, in that delta down there is, is rice. They they tend to when they do rotate out for for corn they're putting it on some of the the better ground most everything down there is flood irrigated so it gives options to rotate into a corn slash rice rotation but but even that being said I, I still see some of them makers down there staying back with rice too yeah because obviously in the upper Midwest it's usually just a straight up battle between corn and soybeans but Correct. in other parts of the country there's other crops that come in and hold a lot of sway so it's a little more complicated picture there so talking specifically about you know the agronomy department here at Stein I mean what is what are some of the projects that kept the agronomy team busy in the 2023 season so the agronomy department kind of changed years a little bit of what we're doing and what we're trying to to look at. Whenever I come aboard last year, so this has been a learning year for me to learn the the products to see how they work in different environments, different different locations. Uh, as I may not have stated earlier, but I cover Missouri, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas. So I could see 
different aspects from from the plains of Kansas to the the delta down in Arkansas and Louisiana and and everything in between. We put as as we we say the PDPs, but the product development plots, as you stated earlier, David. That as a technical agronomist, I'm looking at stuff coming from uh, from research, and we're look at, looking at it before it goes into the commercial side. So we have these plots scattered around, uh, you know, different different regions, and we're looking at them, see how they work in certain geographical locations, and then you know how that plays into the footprint of what Stein's doing, and how we can we can adjust and, and, and look and see what's coming to the market before what we're bringing to the market to be the best for our customers. So that was a major component. You know, we we put these plots in just like any other plot, but we also we, we was in these uh, back in these PDPs. We was in them probably every three weeks, three to four weeks. We were in them taking notes, walking, evaluating. And as we do this, you know, we, we still get together and we compare notes and, and look at how it's doing, say, in, in my area versus Tony's area up, up north here in the Corn Belt versus Bill's area back to the east and to the southeast. So we're, we're constantly comparing notes and we put all that data together and gives us something to go off of, you know, we'll hybrid A work, let's say, in, in Arkansas, but we'll also work in, in the lower part of, of Ohio or in, in Mississippi. So it's a learning tool to see where these we can actually progress and get better and, and, and bring better hybrids, you know, instead of just looking at certain smaller footprint where we're expanding it out to get a better feel uh, of where it works and where it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, the product development plots uh, new in 2023, and I guess we're really excited to see the outcome of that. Of course, we have some great elite trial data, you know, on a lot of these genetics, but the PDPs give, I think, all of us an opportunity to see it with our own eyes in our environment. Probably more than anything, we know the genetics are good, but now the question is, probably more specifics around placement, right? Where should we be using it? Yeah. And I think these product development plots give you guys a great opportunity to look and see these products in their native environment, be able to start to make some you know, ideas around recommendations. Yeah, what works, what doesn't work in said area uh, versus just you know, throwing it out for, for the big footprint. It gives the sales team to give their customers a better feel of what works and what doesn't work after they see it, you know, somewhere closer to, to the, their geographical locations, as I said earlier. And we also use some of the, the same things that we use some of these PDPs to, to help training, help training the, the ISRs, the RSAs, to let them get a hands-on look at it and walk it, touch, feel, and, and they can make an opinion for themselves, too. You know, also, they, they, they see it and... and just being able to, I think, to walk and touch and see it growing because it's it's available to them anytime they want to go look at it because sure. they know where the plot locations are at, whether I'm there or not. But I do have someone come out, you know, whenever, if I'm going to be in the area, they may come and walk the fields with me and we'll just talk talk corn as we're walking. And uh, what I'm seeing and, and versus what they, they see, yeah, just another, another set of eyes on it. So in that way... Also being used as a demonstration plot to be Definitely able to so. get first-hand experience in, in seeing these products. So with that, I guess, looking ahead to the 2024 growing season, what's the agronomy department looking forward to for 2024? Yep, we'll be doing the same thing again with the with the PDPs on the corn side. We might expand just a little bit more. Uh, we're, we're trying to look into that as, as our footprint's expanding. Uh, as we're adding new ISRs in certain region, certain regions, certain areas. But we're also going to, you know, we did very little of this on the soybean side. It was not as broad as what it is we did with the corn. 
So we're going to do the same thing on the soybeans and expand the PDPs to be full sets in maturity ranges and, and, and put them in some of the same areas that we're doing with the corn. So we're, we're going to be able to take a better look at some of our new lineup and our new series that, that's coming out that to gain more knowledge, to be more informed and, and to help the, the sales team to be more informed come selling season, come next fall. That they'll be more in line what's working, what doesn't work, and give them the confidence to go out there and be confident in what they're selling and make sure that they're bringing the best products for our customers. Good. So as far as like the corn product development plots, about do you guys have a goal for how many of those you're hoping to have? Oh, gosh, David. I, <laughs> I, I, if I'm, you don't I'm, have it, that's fine. No, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think we're in, in the, the 50 to 60 range is probably where we're going to be at. And the soybeans are going to be uh, – Probably one per region is what we're shooting for. We might get a little bit more. We're, li- on, we're more limited on seed stock as the new series of soybeans come through of what we can put out there. So in certain areas, we'll have a little bit more seed. In cer- certain mat- uh, maturity ranges um, on the soybean side, we have less less seed stock for that. Sure. But it, it's, it's better to get, get more is better. Uh, more touch points, yeah. uh, more things that we can evaluate, the more informed we can be of it. And those product development plots are replicated and kind of in sets. And so that data can be kind of nicely overlaid so that we can get some good data across multiple reps, multiple locations, right? Correct. The technical agronomist, Bill Kessinger, he's, he did a great job putting together a, uh, a spreadsheet that has it listed. You know, we had a full uh, full maturity range, full mid, mid, mid-early, early. And we had these, we split together and we had a list across there where we, you know, we scored, we, uh, we put notes in, and then these are all compiled together. We have like a grand total of what it's put together, you know, from everybody and how it all funnels in together. It's pretty complicated. It's a red sheet more than I want to mess with, and that's that's the reason, you know, we had Bill working on that. So he, he's very good at, at working on spreadsheets. But it does. It, it gives a, a, a master list of, of kind of everything that we've seen compiled and put together with the notes all at one place. And it just it just helps to uh, you know when when we're talking to the sales team or when we're doing some of our uh, post harvest meetings you know it, we can we can say what it did in our area because there's always people wondering you know well it works here is a lot of times that's all that really matters to them guys or, or ladies but they also want to know what's actually doing you know in other places is is it good enough it, to to move to other places is it something that that's going to be around and I'm talking about more of the experimental side yep. of the products that that's coming and and it's it's good to see that that we can I can pull it up I can hit a few tabs and and here's what it's doing let's say you know two states away or you know you're still on the same parallel as far as if if I'm in Arkansas what's doing in Tennessee or what what it's doing you know back to the west just a little bit of shift in in, in geographical locations but it's good to be able to pull that data out and, and to talk about it. Well, and that's what I like about the uh, product development plots is, that, again, I think they're a nice pairing with, because we have our elite trial data, you know, multi-rep, multi-location, multi-year, which I think does a fantastic job of showing you the genetics are going to do well across a wide swath of the United States, right? So coming out of that, you've got data showing you these are really good genetics, are really powerful, that do well in a lot of situations. But where the PDPs come in is they do a great job of saying, okay, now we know these are all pretty good, but now let's refine the message here. Let's figure out of these that are good, you know, 
which ones are really good again, you know, for rolling ground, which ones are good for no-till, which ones are good for, you know, kind of getting into the detail part of it, which I think the PDPs are going to be excellent for us. You know, as we build our database on the PDPs, but I can say, you know, looking back from right now and, and comparing some of the leak trial data, the leak trials, the, the data that's coming in and some of the stuff that we saw in the PDPs, you can lay the overlap in between them and see some of the the same things that told the same stories. And as we picked a, a few hybrids, you know, going forward for, for next year, going into production plans, they're the same, you yeah. know. So, so it's good to see that two different groups doing two different things, and we still see some of the same data, data line up and, and, and how we're picking some of our hybrids. So that's, that's performing, you know, for the next coming set. Yeah, that's what you want to see is two that's, sets of data that correlate, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> the overlap is good, and especially when it's it, we don't have them going opposite directions. Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was good to see that. So as we're closing up here, Mark, we think about, again, we're here kind of in the middle of winter, but at the same time, planning season will be here before we know it. So are there resources or places that growers should go if they need or want to get more information about, you know, what they need to be looking at for their cropping plan. So you're exactly right. The planting season, especially for people down south in the southern part, it's creeping this way at a rapid pace. I'll have stuff going in in, in the last part of February in, yeah. in the southernmost part of my, my region. But it's, it, it is coming. But there's lots of places people can get information you know, uh, they can always look at some of their extension services. You know, here across the Midwest, we have a lot of good, uh, valuable places where we, we can go and, and, and get information. The Iowa State, uh, Purdue, Nebraska, they're, they're all the time putting out um, publications. You can reach out to them and, and, and get information there. But but also, don't be afraid to to talk to your to your sales team, to the, your salesperson that's, that's that you're working with, the ISRs. Independent sales reps with us, the regional sales agronomists, and and in the same way for myself, you know, uh, if the, you have particular questions, and and I've had questions that's trickled down from the ISR to me that you know that they'll call up say, hey, so and so is is inquiring about uh, certain certain issues he's had in the past as he's going back to his rotation back to soybeans or vice versa back to corn. What do you what do you recommend? You know, I I just feel more comfortable if, if you give me some input. That's what we're there for. We're there to help the customer make the best decisions uh, for for his acres because at the end, they've got to grow crops. They've got to grow a good crop to to keep buying corn and soybeans from us. If if we're not giving them the the best of our knowledge to help them to succeed and be successful, that's that's part of our job. Yep. And uh, and and I'm sure to say that ever ISR ever RSA. From me to uh, all the way up to, to Harry and Myron, we want we want our customers to be uh, succeed and be profitable and to do the best that they can. And so growers obviously can reach out to their uh, ISR, their RSA, or their agronomist, and we have contact information on our website for those if they've misplaced it or or need additional information. So, well. Mark, appreciate you coming on the podcast today, talking to us about the 2023 growing season, things that the agronomy department's excited about for 2024. Really appreciate your insight and uh, learn more about you and the things you do for Stein. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks, David. Appreciate you having me here, and I look forward to some future ones. Well, that's our time for today. I want to thank our guests and our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stein Seedcast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. 
And to never miss an episode, subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield.